My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 172. Thank you for rocking with this podcast. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the family. Audio episodes like this go out every single Monday. Now I'm super excited because this platform is really growing. So Legally Clueless Africa is made up of audio episodes like this. We have our video series and our tour series that's on our YouTube channel. And now we have our workshops. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited because we are a few days away from our first ever workshop that's happening on the 13th of July. It's our digital content workshop. I've been in the media space for 13 years in traditional media and on digital media. And so I've put everything I've learned into a curriculum and it's going to be touching on building sustainable content, building revenue streams, marketing your content, building a community. I'm so excited for this. So go to LegallyCluelessAfrica.com so that you can learn more about the workshop and you can grab your tickets. I'm so ex- You know, when I first posted about the workshop, I was like, what if nobody cares? Like, what if, like, what if absolutely nobody gives a damn about these skills? And I remember telling that to my friend and he was just like, then you'll know and you'll just move on to something else. I was like, it's so easy to say, but like the heartbreak. <laughs> but I'm so excited that quite a few people have their tickets. And because I want the workshops to be very intimate, we're really limiting the numbers. So we have a few tickets left. So if you go to legallycluelessafrica.com, you can grab your tickets now. Okay. Oh my God. I went in there and I forgot to let you know what's coming up a little later in this episode. It's part two of Grusha's story. Listen to this. So we go in sleep and around 2 a.m. my brother appears in my room, very pale, very yellow and looking at me. So I went, I didn't even talk to her. I just went to straight where my brother was lying and he was not there. And I was like, is he in ICU? Something. The nurses, they were like, no, we lost him. At what time? At 2 a.m. Now I'm in this place alone with his colleague. I have to inform everyone. Just call my mom and tell her, mom, I'm sorry. And she's like, what are you telling me? Just said, I'm sorry. The warriors that he was working with closely were the ones who were broken. I remember when I was still having access to his Facebook, they would ask Griffins, please answer us. As I was telling you, Alec, grief is deadly. Sometimes you feel like it is okay to die. Like me, I always say, now that my brother is not here, I am okay to die. But what grief did to me the most, it separated me from the church. That's part two of her story that's coming up in a bit. You can listen to part one in episode 171. If you haven't listened to it yet, I suggest you do because then you're just going to be floating (laughs) and it's not going to make any sense. Okay, but we're going to get to that part of her story a little later in this episode. Okay, song of the week. I cannot believe I've never shared this particular song. If I have somebody, please like DM me or something because I've really gone back across our past episodes and I'm shocked, bamboozled, (laughs) tongue-tied that I hadn't shared this song with you and it's one of my favorite songs. So it's by Eric Wainaina. In case you don't know, he is an amazing Kenyan artist. Please look up his stuff. But this particular song is called Deck, Deck, Deck. I 
love it. Honestly, my first point of love for it is the writing. I have read the lyrics like poetry so many times because they are actually quite poetic. Ah, it's written so well. Like just the imagery, even the points of repetition are so, ah, you know, what? it's it's really a well-written song. It sounds good. It's just so yummy but even deeper than that it's really like a call to being an active citizen which is my jam and huh, my jam and i'm talking about a jam no i really love this song the other reason i do is because it reminds me so way back in the day eric wainaina if you have lived in nairobi for a while maybe you'll remember this he used to do live performances every single thursday at a particular club in westlands i can't remember the name but i remember my late mom and i going for like a couple of those concerts i don't know why we used to club together Uh, i mean it wasn't like it was wild I don't think I was even drinking alcohol at the time. We genuinely were there to listen to Eric Wainaina's music and watch his performances because he's one of the best live performers I've ever seen. And I think we went for like about two or three. I don't know, man. But yeah, so this song gives me that memory because that was my first time interacting with this song and hearing it and I just fell in love. Yeah, so I put a link to it in the show notes or you could just search Eric Wainaina, Deck 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 on a streaming platform or on YouTube. All right, now that uh, Housekeeping Manenas is done, I really hope that the week that was was really good for you was dope was full of kindness my friend and i were just talking about kindness like a few minutes ago and how important it is i today have like experienced such raw kindness from people like one friend took a whole day off work to help me with something another friend offered to do meal preps for me in the next coming days because they might be a bit hectic for me and she was like tell me what she like eating and i'll make sure that's sent over to your house i have two other friends who've just been just kind for kindness's sake and it's just so it's so nice like I had to hold back maybe I'm emotional for one reason or another but I genuinely felt balance in tears so I hope that you have experienced kindness in its like pure form this past week I have actually spent my week in Sierra Leone I'm recording this before I travel so I'm hoping nothing happens knocking on wood yeah I don't have wood close by okay there we go I'm hoping nothing happens with my flight it's a direct like it's one flight so honestly Kenya Airways just (laughs) just behave for me please kindly yeah it's gonna be my first time in Sierra Leone so I'm really excited about that and I'm going for something that I'm very passionate about I'm going for the 10th African conference on sexual health and rights and I'm going to be doing two things one speaking on a panel about the vicious effects of colonization in relation to sexual violence and then i'm going to be hosting a book club for the book i co-authored with lanji can you imagine this do you remember og legally clueless listeners will remember the time i was writing the book do you remember those days like who'd have thought we'd have been taking it to sierra leone it's wild to even think about but yeah so i'm really excited about that i have a very open mind i know absolutely no one in that country (laughs) But I think it's going to be pretty fun. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? I am carrying my recorder. So right about here, I'm going to share some of my Sierra Leone experiences. Okay, if I'm on the beach and I meet someone, how do I say hello? My name is blah, blah, blah. In in Kiro or in Kiro, you said good evening. Mm -hmm. How do they do? Then you ask them, say 
Wetina, your name. Then it can, yeah, then it can respond to you. My name is so 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 blah blah. Like you are trying to ask me, say what thing are your name? I'll say my my name Nadauda. And what if I'm lost? How do I say I'm lost and I need directions? So if you want to ask in this local language, yeah. so if you meet up like someone cannot understand English, say yeah. hey, brother or if it is a man, say brother, I they do. Are they radicin blue? Mm. But I don't miss me place. I let direct me there. My name is Tamaris. I am from Nairobi, Kenya. And I've been working in Freetown for the last one year. So I come here at least once every quarter because I work here. Yeah. The organization that I work for is based here. Like the, it's HQ'd here, but yeah. I work from home. I remember my first time. First of all, it was so chaotic uh, coming into you know, crossing the, the sea with the boat. That was like an interesting thing because it was the first time that I was in a boat for, you know, a long time. Yeah. And then I got from, because the airport is an, in an island. Mm-hmm. So now coming in here to the mainland, I was like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. The hills and, mm-hmm. you know, the geographic side of it is really beautiful, but it's also really chaotic. Yeah. The roads are really narrow. And within a week, I was homesick. <laughs> Because in Nairobi, you find delivery, you can dial literally everything, and here you can't do that. The other culture shock was money. The currency is a lot. So I had like $100, and I got a million for that. And I asked the security people, the hotel people, are you going to give me security? Because I feel like I have so much money. I'm walking around with like a bag full of money. I'm still trying to get used to that. Yeah, but between yesterday and today, they are doing, I think, Mm. a devaluation of the currency. So they are striking off some zeros. But if you come here with, say, $1,000, which in Kenya is like 115,000 Kenya shillings, so you only have like a bundle, here you will get 11 million leons. And that's... That 11 million could be in denominations of 5,000. So that means you have to carry, you know, these bags are called the Nigerian bags at home. (laughs) (laughs) They go to the bank with that to get money. And and you will find money lying all over the place. That's another thing. Like in Kenya, you can never leave this phone here. But in Sierra Leone, you can go and come back and you'll still find. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it's really interesting. There is a very big like cultural difference of course or the other thing is um uh, the Sierra Leoneans or rather the West Africans speak very loudly so every time you feel like you're in a confrontation because people don't know how to speak calmly (laughs) so that was the first culture shock I actually got at the airport because those guys were trying help me at the airport and they're just like random people yeah. like do you have your covid test have you done this have you done this i'm like why are you shouting yeah. just speak slowly yeah. yeah uh and before i realized that just that's how everybody speaks yeah. i was so traumatized i was like why are you trying to fight yeah. you're helping me i didn't ask for your help so just come to me slowly so i got here on um i think it was the 13th of feb and my colleagues are like very extra so when i got here they're like do you have a valentine's date which was now the 14th mm. and i was like no i don't i mean i'm just gonna go back to my hotel and yeah. sleep and they said we need to get you a date and then there was this guy that i met now on the 14th who took me out on a very like it's the best date i've been on mm. at the lonely beach I never saw him again. It was just like a date. But it was really nice. Like, it was just really, really, really nice. I think the men here, um, they know how to take care of, like, women. Um, so if you go out on a date, there's the little things like pulling the chair for you, opening the car door for you. Like, those, just those nice things. So I think that was the best 
day that I've been on here. Mm. Also, I've, I've visited a few islands. There's the Bonds Island, mm. which is where the slaves were taken yeah. when, you know, like during the colonial times. That's one of the stations that they came to. Yeah. And it's so rich in history. Like, you will find all the... I don't know those things where they put like the bullets, the very yeah. heavy machinery. You'll find them there. You'll find the um, the 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 place, the the house that the slaves are still kept. Mm. It's still there. So it's so rich in history. It's just like really, it's a reflection moment of how far we've come as a continent and all of that. It's also quite emotional mm. just thinking about like the things that people went through there because like the the, the house has like sections of where women were kept and where children were kept and all of that including mm-hmm. the graves. So yeah, that, that, that was nice. And I also went to another island called the Banana Island, which is like really beautiful. So just touring different parts of Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. And I think Freetown is a series of so many islands mm-hmm. and there's so much history in those islands. So I think that has been, yeah, some of the best times I've had here and the, the beaches. So there's number two, there's Lemley, and then there's Toke. Toke mm-hmm. is where like all the nice hotels are. Mm-hmm. It's very beautiful. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. So we go and sleep and around 2am my brother appears in my room. Very pale, very yellow and looking at me. And I'm like, God, this can't happen. Let me know you're not communicating anything. He is okay in the hospital. The doctors are there. There's that one good doctor who is there. And he will take good care of him. This can't happen. And I remember, I wrote a very long message on my WhatsApp status and was like, like blah. And then I scratched that message and then I just say, God, see us through this at 2 a.m. And I couldn't go to sleep. At 4 a.m. was already up, bathed. I called his colleague. I was like, hey, what time are you going to see Griffin's? And I think I missed the the time, like the visitation time for the hospital. I can't remember. It was at 5 to 7. So I was like, I thought it is at 7 a.m. to something. So my his colleague was sleeping near, the, just opposite the hospital. For me, it was a little bit far. So she was like, have you bathed? I was like, yes, I've bathed. I just want to come. I'm looking for a border so that it can drop me to your hotel. Then we go. Then she was like, okay, let me. Then she didn't even bath. She went to the hospital. And when I'm just alighting from Boda Boda, she calls me. Grisha, where are you? Like, I'm just here at the gate. Just come. We've lost Griffins. And I was like, no. Like, it was surreal. It it wasn't... It wasn't real. Like, my brother couldn't just have died. I was like, are you sure? Let me come. Then we confirm. Maybe we've missed the bed. So I went, I didn't even talk to her. I just went to straight where my brother was lying and he was not there. And I was like, is he in ICU? Something. The nurses, they were like, no, we lost him. At what time? At 2 a.m. At 2 a.m. is when we lost him. Now. I'm in this place alone with his colleague. I have to inform everyone, everyone. And I knew my mother will not take it lightly that 
his favorite son. Favorite kid. It's normal. So I have, because if I tell anyone, this is the one who will tell my mother. And I don't have access to my dad. And I just call my mom. And tell her, mom, I'm sorry. And she's like, what are you telling me? Just said, I'm sorry. I don't know anything else to tell you. Just sorry. And my mother dropped her phone and screamed. My siblings were at home in there because it was very early at six. They were asleep. And then they came home. They came in the room. And then they didn't even need to be told that my brother was home. We can take a second. We can pause. No, it is okay. Don't worry, I'm okay. We can take a moment just between um, deep breaths normally also helps. So we can do it together if you want. Okay. So you just like hold it or go in. Let's do another one. Do a third one. It is grief is deadly. Yeah. Yeah. Grief is deadly. You can actually die <laughs> from grief. Yeah. I'm ready to continue. So my siblings come and they find my mom devastated. This is from their story. Like as they were narrating it to me. And my mom now needs to call the sister, needs to call her relatives, her friends. And I remember the reason why it broke us so hard. Every time my brother was sick, we never asked anyone to pray for us. Not a single person. We just used to continue inside the house, like, ah, he'll be okay then after he's like, okay, then we'll ask people. But you see, this is a different scenario. He's outside from where my dad is, where my mom is, where these doctors from Bungoma and nurses from Bungoma understand him and understand his situation. He's in a different county where people don't even understand. Probably they don't understand about sickle cell. So I don't have access to my dad. My dad doesn't know that even if he's coming, he's just coming. And it took him long. We don't even know what made him. Like, from 6 a.m., my dad was arriving around 10 a.m. or something. We're like, what is taking this man all this time? Like, he, will, he was supposed to be here. And he's just coming oblivious of what has happened. I see him at the gate. And he's walking. He didn't even care, like, to ask for people to, so that he can call me, so that I can direct him. He's just so quickly. And that was, the hospital is big. So he's walking. Going, going where? Where are you going? So I'm like, look at him just walking majestically, going to the hospital, direct to the hospital to ask where his son is lying. And then these people, strangers are the ones who will go and tell him that, oh, that one, <laughs> he's there, he's a body right now. So I saw him and I felt pity for him and I ran towards him. And he was like, don't tell me. Even before I spoke, he knew what I was supposed to tell him. So it's like, no, 
Drusha, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I was like, yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't even tell him that he's dead. I was like, true, I'm sorry. It happened. And my, that was the first time I ever saw my dad crying. And we asked him to go, because we were at the cafeteria, at the hospital's cafeteria. We asked him to go and take maybe a, a cup of tea before he proceeds with anything. And he was like, I have to see my son. And I took him where he was, because we had already been shown where he is. So I took him there, and he didn't, he didn't believe. He kept on, like, tapping half his face, like, no, young man, you can't be laying here. Like, wake up. <laughs> wake up. What are you doing here? And he was still warm the morning when we found him. Because when you're touching him, he's just warm. Like, why are these people telling us that he's dead? He's warm. There's nothing they can do to him, like, to ensure that he doesn't like, lie here forever and ever. And then after that, my dad comes and asks for a cup of tea. And he takes a cup of tea. And now we have to, he can't sleep at the hospital one more night. He needs to go home. So the logistics of, and uh, <laughs> the one who has been, I didn't even, sh- like, after the incident, after calling my mom and telling them and calling the church and tell, asking them, Griffins is no more because he was also a leader in the church. I told the church, told my parents, told my extended family, and was like, no, I'm, and my employer. You remember yesterday I asked you that I'm coming to see my brother? Now he's no more. I'll need more time. And they were so good. They sent me money to help me with those things. And... And the first lady, he's in boy. And he's like, you can't go without me. Griffins is my son. You need to wait for me. And my, like my aunties from my dad's side did come. My uncles, my uncles were there. My friends came like that day. I didn't even believe how people would show up. But they just came. And everyone is getting impatient. Because <laughs> we don't want to be here. Like, this is the place that has robbed us a wonderful soul. So we had to wait for the first lady. And she came and said she'll clear all the bills and pay for the mortgage. We didn't even know. We hadn't even thought of, not for the mortgage, for the van, the house. We didn't even know how we're going to, we had not even thought how we're going to move this body from point A up to Bungoma. We just knew we needed to be out of here, out of this vicinity. And it. I wish I would have asked for them to give me an explanation on why he died. Because I remember when I had asked someone who was his bedmate, someone they were sleeping, that's him if he gets if he gets if he struggles at night, please call me. I don't know why he needed to call me, but I just asked him, please call me if he really struggles at night. Please call me. <laughs> and he this person didn't call me and I kept thinking, or oh, should I call him? Or because he has not called me, it's good news. <laughs> then you reach here and he's lying there at a stone. <laughs> so we had to wait for the first lady and no one believed. His friends didn't believe. The warriors that he was working with closely didn't believe. Because the ones from our home back in the village didn't believe because he was the only hope. If you need to, if you needed to, if someone told you that this, like, no one is, no one lives past seven. There's Griffiths. No one lives past 19. 
reference is 27 because he died at 27 he was an, like everyone looked up to like, up to up to him if no he's into ad, his adulthood what do you mean that people can't live up to this stage at least he gave people hope and he started working with the the sickle cell warriors very closely. He was a pioneer, the pioneer, the brains behind the sickle cell federation of Kenya. It only came to be, it was launched last year because he was supposed to be the vice chair. So he was the brains, like he brought so many people from Kisumu, from coast, from Western, like together. And they were like, so when you have a voice of reason, he drops dead. They were so for them, they lost someone. As much as they were all, like the federation consists of older people, but Griffins, for some reason, Griffins used to give them hope and all that because he was enthusiastic. He didn't, not unless you see him in pain crisis, you wouldn't know that he's a warrior. And he wasn't, he wasn't the kind of person who misused his disease for him to get favors. He never... He never seeked empathy or sympathy with his disease. Not unless actually he gets sick. Because I remember the first lady worked with him for a very long time until my brother got sick. It's when he was like, are you a warrior? Yes, um, and the first lady really helped him to champion the about sickle cell. And up to today, she's a, like, she champions a lot on sickle cell disease. A lot, like she doesn't miss it in any health organizations, any health functions that she's called. She doesn't, because she was like, I'm ashamed. I am from Bungoma. I have lived in Bungoma. And I don't know about sickle cell. And it is where it is, like in Western, in Nyanza, in coast, people, like, it is our counties that are suffering more than any other place. So when you, like, it is there, but people don't know that it is there. So when she realized that, hey, I'm working with this person and he's a warrior, she really helped him to push through and find his ways. And he, she was really making good connections for him regarding sickle cell for, so that they can find, because she had even pro, proposed she goes for a bone marrow transplant, because with bone marrow transplant, you can actually live. And my brother was like, I want to start paying for my insurance this year, for a private insurance this year, purposefully for that. That is in 2020. For, so that when it comes 2021, early 2021, maybe I can ask for a harambe kidogo to jazia the insurance so that I can go for the bone marrow transplant. And I remember my, parent, my mom was like, hey, Griffins, so you'd rather just live with it, with the pain crises. They don't come as often as they did when you were young. Don't don't go for the transplant. Like, my, my mom wasn't for the idea. She, she was always afraid. And I remember... She shared with us that she had just shared with someone that, hey, Griffin is insisting to go for a bone, bone marrow transplant. But me don't know. I don't want him to go because it costs around five million. We don't have that kind of money. And this friend of hers told him, and what are you waiting for? You will have called us Kitambo the moment your son had just said that he wants a bone marrow transplant. You had called, like, you could have called us. You, we are your friends and organize a harambe for you so that we can take Griffins to go and do a bone marrow transplant. So you see, they're telling my mom early January. So she's starting to wrap her head around it. Like, actually, Griffins can go for, for a bone marrow transplant and live like a normal kid, for, for like a healthy kid, not with crises here and there every time. 
but before they actually <laughs> they actually realize this dream he's he's out <laughs> and when like so the journey to bungoma it was so sad i think i cried to bungoma and we reached and it was raining it was raining he died on 29th of january it was raining so hard and we reached in bungoma so many people were waiting for him in the rains and we reached there at 4 am people were there in the rains we were like you people you could have slept <laughs> he's just coming to go to the morgue and they were there everyone was i think half of bungoma if i am not exaggerating was there like to see him in the mortuary and we people didn't believe that he he was dead so when we arrived there with him my my mom my mom was broken he kept on hugging him asking him to wake up but you see now the the procedure has been done they have already treated the body like after they treated the body I was like that's it it's done like i wish they couldn't have treated the bo- treated the body we could have done something but they already treated the body there's nothing you can do my mom was just there asking him why are you living right now like your life has just started and you are leaving us like did you have to leave because because of his condition my mom loved him L- loved him so much that she knew she knew that he loved him more than like she used to get he used to get favors from her like even when he wanted something we would like griffins go because <laughs> he was the one who was loved the most and it broke my mother and i knew it would be hard for her but i'm glad that people were there for her and all that and when it came to the burial the like when it came to burial preparations we met our brother we did not he didn't know who our brother was everyone was we knew our brother was kind we knew our brother was generous but that is to us you are kind and generous to your family and then these people are coming and everyone is saying things you're like that griffins we now we met him we didn't know him and we were so sad that it it had to be re- revealed like this this is who he is a selfless person a person who wouldn't like he will give out his lunch for someone who doesn't have there he will give out his space for someone else to occupy even when it it meant him when it meant the most to him he even gave out his life to go to boy and he was sick he was sick like and he knew he was sick and my brother wouldn't even go to church when he was sick but he thought it was important for him to be in boy and so many people we think we had we had a reservation of 1000 seats people didn't fit we had to add more seats and he died at 27 and people were asking is it a politician who is dead he like no he's just our brother he's not a politician like was it was he in, like we kept on being asked was he in politics I'm like no he was not in politics he was just him because people came people from uganda people from rwanda because he had done a yearly course a yearly cohort or something they came and everyone has different stories with him everyone has different connections with him and we were like as we didn't know you and we regretted the many times we used to ask him you can't go like there were times he would want to really attend something and my mom would be there like you can't go you see you were not feeling well like or that place will be tedious for you and you and tediousness and being tired will 
I'm sure the crisis is don't go. So there are so many instances that we used to ask, like block for him, like you can't go because you are sick. And for him, he didn't care that he was sick. All his life, like after he started living from 2017, 2018, he didn't care that he was sick. He was just happy to help, happy to serve his people and the warriors that he was working with closely were the ones who were broken. If I remember when I was still having access to his Facebook, they would ask Griffins, please answer us. This is not true. You're not like whatever is being said online is not true. Up to today, people will send you screenshots like this is what they're saying about Griffins. Last week I received a, a screenshot. I'm like, it's two years ago. You guys move on. <laughs> move on. But that who that is who my brother was to us and to the world. And maybe what I love to encourage people is to understand the disease, the sickle cell disease. Some part of me believe that if I would have slept with him in the hospital, he wouldn't have died. Because I would have noticed, I right now, he needs to be put on water. Or I would have called my dad. Now Griffins is behaving like this. Because before leaving him, he had, his memory was not working right. Because he was like, he was asking me, Grusha, this is the last bed I'm going to sleep on. I'm like, no, this is not your last bed. So this is a hospital bed. After you get well, you go sleep to your own bed. There's nothing like, so we, we communicated this with the nurses. My brother, my brother's memory is not working well. Allow us to sleep here, or even just the sister, to sleep with him. They're like, no. So I will, maybe sickle cell is a disease that needs to be given some, to be given so much light so that no one else can go, no one else can go through when they're in a foreign county. They don't need to worry about if they will live or if they'll not live. People need to understand that not every tiny person is HIV positive. And what if they are, like we are past the era where we used to profile HIV because it's just a disease. So even if he's HIV, you need to treat him because he's he's here. Don't start murmuring there that maybe he's HIV positive and all that. And this person is not. You see, that is the reason why he was hurt. He wasn't positive. And for me, it was like, what if he was positive? Just give him medication. Just treat him the way you would treat an unpositive person. Healthcare needs to be served right. As I was telling you, Alec grief is deadly. Sometimes you feel like it is okay to die. Like me, I always say, now that my brother is not here, I am okay to die. But what grief did to me the most, it separated me from the church. Because the time, because I believed, we asked for the church to pray. We asked for people to pray. And then their prayers didn't work. And then they blamed the thing on Saturn. <laughs> like, just accept its nature. People need to die. Like, don't tell us it is Saturn. Just tell us that it is the way of life. Like, why is it that when someone dies, now we turn, we don't see it is. So, like, since then, since my brother passed on, I've never gone to church. My parents keep on pushing me. You need to go to church. Need to, like, it happened, it happened. You can't question God. I'm like, I'm not there yet. Let me live in this moment, knowing that there was a time he needed God the most, but he was not there. 
he was busy with someone else and he and I'm not saying that he he would have taken another person. I was just saying that day he would have rested and just maybe sleep the way he rested on the sixth day. He would just have rested and not pick anyone. Why is it necessary for him to pick people if it is God who gives life? And if it, because my problem was that with the Bible, they always say, ask and it shall be given to you. We asked, we asked God, please, this one time, we've never asked anyone to pray for him. It is the only time we are coming out and telling them, please pray for us. Even my mom asked his, her church members, pray for us, Griffin is sick. I asked people, pray for us, Griffin is sick. We even prayed. We knelt down and prayed. And then I think right now I'm the, where I am with grief is... Uh, is something that I wouldn't wish on anyone. I know it is deadly. You can die from grief. Like you're always ready. You're always like now the angel of death is hovering around, looking for someone whom it can pick. I am here. Please just pluck me from this earth, because our brother was. Our brother was the strongest pillar as much as he was a sickler. He was the strongest pillar because when we will have sibling wrangles or even wrangles with our parents, he was the one who will come in between and solve it when our parents wouldn't understand our point of view. If it comes from Griffiths, they will understand because Griffiths was calm and he was kind even when he was passing. Unlike us, who will be maybe we want things to be done the way we want to be. But Griffin's had another, like another way of handling things. He thinks he didn't think aggressiveness will solve things. So he was like, what if you look it, at it from this angle? Things that maybe my parents will struggle understanding. He will give them a different perspective and then he will understand, they will understand. And like us who just want, like we've said, we want it this way. We want it this way. We don't know how to go away, like around it to explain them to you. So they really plucked something. And that was the time his career was peaking. He died without a career. He was just working with the office of the first lady. And things were looking pretty good for him. And the federation and the clinics that they were supposed to open, because they opened one in Bungoma and it was named after him. He was at a good at a good place where he was at 27 he was at a good place to help so many people that he had started helping them. Now his we always call them his kids are just there with no one to help them. So most of the time you find people are calling me, hi, we have this order and we don't know how to help them. You have to step up. Sometimes we don't even like because he's a he was a warrior, he used to understand why. He needed to be there. Sometimes me and Nairobi don't understand. I don't see how I'm going to Bungoma because, for lack of a better word, it's not my priority. Because I am, I have other things to do. But these people know that I am there for them, and they understand. I've taken up the role so well. They understand that it is in my position to help them. Like they'll just call. We have patient so-and-so, and she doesn't have medication. Do you know where we can get? I send them to this hospital. Go to this hospital. You'll get, if they're in Nairobi, I'll tell them, oh, there's a place in around Gong Road. They give free medication on these days. Go 
but you see for him he had cultivated a relationship with them he don't have a relationship with them and i feel like god didn't look even if he didn't regard us who have looked at the warriors that he was working with closely to help and felt like they needed him to be here so that he can guide them because he used to go to machine inside the villages and talk sense to people like because in western as long as you're sick and this sickness is not understood nikurogwa like you're bewitched that is the reason why you're getting sick you're always inside the hospital there are kids like somewhere deep in the village in bungoma who can't go to school because their parents are like they eventually die you see and these are people that he used to walk with them because his personality allowed him to be everywhere anywhere like whatever they wanted him to be he will be there like sometimes you will you will like he will tell you that i'm in montelgon like montelgon where what are you what are you doing in montelgon because montelgon sometimes can be a little bit tricky so he was selfless for them and that is usually our wish that like god will have I know there are people who have come up to help the federation is running and they are really doing their like what they, they could know best but maybe most of them are based in Nairobi they're not based back in the villages so you see for him he was easy he will fit in Nairobi and he will fit inside the villages and he will help him and he will talk to the kids to the parents kids and tell them that sickle is like any other disease with care love and medication and just checking on diet even if you can't afford fruits greens like allow your kid to eat so many vegetables allow your kid to drink a lot of water to ensure that there's no blood clogging the veins these are things that he understood from a personal point of view because it is him who was living it for me i can only describe sikosel from books from what i read from books from what i read online from stories i can't describe sikosel the way he used to describe sikosel no one can listen to me the way they would listen to him because he's the warrior he's going through it because i remember there was a girl who passed on early this year i think on 1st of january and during her burial they were like the mother has really tried so hard with the kid because the kid was supposed to to die she was young and now she's she's dying after class 8 like after class 8 people are living up to because we have a a very old sekoselloria who is she's 86 years people can live if they get, if they have access to this information if they have access to medicine if they have access to healthcare even a small wound can turn big if you're a warrior untreatable but if you are in, if you are if you have access to medication healthcare these things will not worry you you will not drop out of school you will reduce your the instances that you are always in hospital they will reduce because there's medication but lack of medication that makes it your inside and out of hospital every time you can't do you can't finish school with this, with your age mates you might find someone is eating and now she's finishing classes that means her age mates are way ahead of her she doesn't have the motivation to continue with school but when you have this information i believe people will understand and teachers will treat you differently sometimes teachers are the ones who throw ads like 
sickle cell warriors don't live long, up to date. It is not some a thing of the past. Because I am working with a mother to another warrior, and she was like, to just keep on telling him he'll not live long. So I believe if my brother was here, he would have done much better for these people. For me, what I can do is sympathize and ask them to go to this hospital and promise them things will change. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. There is so much to take away from Grasha's story. I think one thing that stands out for me is the relationship between grief and identity because I faced that as well where as soon as somebody you love dies you find yourself losing yourself and trying to be what that person who died was or who they wanted or you think they wanted you to be so you stop being who you are and who you want to be and you just your identity is just completely enmeshed in this person who you have lost and then there's the whole thing of the people who are left with you you start looking for the person who you've lost in them. So for example, for me, in relation to grief and identity, as soon as my mom died and she was doing a lot of work around breast cancer awareness, which is great work, but it was because of her journey and her experiences with it. As soon as she passed away, I started like immersing myself in that world completely. Again, it's not a bad thing, but I was doing it at the expense of who I am and the things that I'm passionate about. On top of that, I think I was looking for my mom in every one around me from my family. So from my sisters to my aunties. And they could never live up to these expectations I came in with because they were not my mom. They are not my mom. And so it it is something I've not seen people talk about a lot which is just the damage grave damage grief does to your identity it's almost like you're relearning how to live and how to be you again it's hectic I also really identified with when she talked about grief being able to kill you and you not fearing death and almost desiring death I have quite a few of those moments where death doesn't scare me as much because I'm just like, yeah, yeah, come take me because what is this life even living without my mom? And you can imagine this is like 10 years on. I just don't fear death as much. And sometimes when life gets very hectic, it's almost like desirable. Grief is hectic like that. I don't know about the church thing, but I've heard people talk about that a lot. I've never been religious, so I can't really speak to what grief does to your relationship with the church and with, you know, the more conventional view of God. But I would be very interested to learn more about that, actually. So yeah, if if you have a story around that or you just want to share something around that, fill out the storyteller form. There is a link to it in the show notes or you can just click the link in the bio of our Instagram page. That's Legally Clueless Africa. I'd really like to hear what grief does to that, to your relationship with your religion. Hmm. Okay, another thing you should definitely check out, as I mentioned earlier, is the digital content workshop that is upcoming on the 13th of July. It's our first workshop as Legally Clueless Africa. So I'm super excited. 
If you just go to legallycluelessafrica.com and click on the workshops tab, the information is all there. Plus, you can grab your tickets there now. Please share this message with everyone who you think is going to benefit from a digital content workshop. And last but not least, remember that this podcast plays on Trace FM here in Kenya every Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. and every Friday at 1 p.m. So I'm going to leave you now. I will catch you next week in the next episode. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.